welcome to Baby Bliss Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Lizette. I'm a mom, nurse, and educator, and I'm here to break down the need to know and the want to know about pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum. As a disclaimer, I am not here to give medical advice. This is for educational purposes only. I encourage you to follow the advice of your physician or provider for any medical decisions related to your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum care. Hey everyone, hope everyone is having a great week. Um, Today's episode, we are going to talk about the questions that you need to ask your provider if they have decided you're going to have a labor induction. Sometimes you get very little notice, sometimes you're talking about it for weeks in advance, just depending kind of what on the reason is for why you're having it. And if you aren't sure what I mean when I say labor induction or induction of labor, please listen to the last episode. That episode, I kind of go over everything that you want to know about the topic. What is it? What are the methods that are used? And some of those just good to know things because over 30% of women will have their labor induced in the United States. So it's really helpful to understand this just in case it happens to be part of your birth story. For me personally, all three of my children were born with a labor induction or induction of labor and each one for different reasons. So today we're just really going to talk about um, as a first time mom or even her second or third time mom, if you are facing the possibility of a labor induction, it's really important you ask your healthcare provider some questions to make sure you really understand the reasons behind that recommendation and what the induction process entails. Every provider is a little different in what they suggest or recommend based on you, based on your pregnancy history, based on the risk factors or reasons why. And every hospital or facility is different in what they have available to you or maybe what their policies are. If you want a list of these questions so that you can have them with you, please email me at babyblisspodcast at gmail.com. And I will send you a free list of questions, the ones I'm going to talk about today, for you to go over with your provider. Not all of these questions are going to pertain to everyone, but let's go ahead and start with the most important. Why is induction being recommended for me? I think it's important you understand the reason why. Why is this change happening or this need to deliver happening? And in my last episode, I went over, there is a long list of reasons why. It could have to do with your health, with the baby's health, or sometimes even logistics, like you live really far from the hospital or you have really fast labors typically, and they don't want you to have a baby in the car. Um, Or maybe your significant other is getting deployed. I mean, there's a wide range of reasons, but you really need to understand what is the reason that it's being recommended for me. The next question is, what are the specific risks or concerns that make it necessary for an induction in my particular case? Um, You don't want to have an induction of labor just because you're tired of being pregnant. I mean, no, you do. I get it. You do. But it's really important to understand that we want to get as far in pregnancy as we can. And labor of induction should not occur before 39 weeks unless it's medically important or there's a medical reason. And even then, it's really important to try to let our body 
go into labor or start this process. Now, not everybody's uterus decides to get with the program and gets going with contractions, right? But you want to know what are the risks? What are the concerns about doing an induction? The next question I would ask is what are the alternatives? So why is the induction considered the best course of action? What are the alternatives to doing an induction? And when I have this list of questions, it's important you know your provider may answer some of them all at once. Like when you say, why do you recommend an induction? They may go over a long list and you can kind of just cross out the questions as you go along. But I'm giving you the option of lots of different questions that can be helpful. The next question I would definitely ask is how will the induction process be carried out? So what methods will be used? In the last episode, I went over all the types of methods that can be utilized. Uh, Foley or cervical balloons, prostaglandins, sweeping of the membranes, breaking of the water, and Pitocin. Those are some of the main ways that we use to induce labor. And so you want to ask, what's the process? And again, it depends on a lot of different factors from you specifically and how is your cervix doing? Is it ripened or ready for this process? or how far along in the pregnancy you are, or how high risk are you, but also the policies of the hospital. And a lot of those things go into that that discussion with the provider. And you want to be informed about what is it going to look like so you can start to mentally prepare for that, whether it's a long day or a long two days, that you know what your plan is. And next question just goes right along with that. What is the expected timeline for the induction process? Now, please don't expect your provider to tell you how long you're going to be in labor. They can give you a guesstimate based on textbooks, based on experience, but every woman is different. I have seen a first-time mom come in and give birth from going from one centimeter to completely dilated in 20 minutes. That's very rare. I also know that some women may have multiple days of being induced. So what is the expected timeline? Um, if you're going to have prostaglandins placed in the vagina, then and that's to help prepare or ripen the cervix, then those are usually in for 12 hours, which means we don't even have that pitocin, which causes uterine contractions, start until after the 12 hours. So you want to get an idea for timeline. Maybe you need to plan for pet care, child care, somebody to water the plants, somebody to check on your home, how many... Sets of clothes do my significant other need to bring? You know, all of that's important to help you plan. How will my baby be monitored during the induction process? And for some women, this is especially important because they want to move around a lot or they need to understand how does this impact their birth plan? If you really want to do intermittent monitoring, which means they only monitor for short bits and then you're off the monitor and free to move around a lot, this may change if you're planned on being induced, if, the, if that's the plan. The next question is, are there any potential complications associated with induction that I should be aware of? So there's always going to be upsides and downsides to every medical intervention or procedure, but also with pregnancy or driving a car. I mean, you know, with everything, there are potential, there's a potential for um, a complication. But I think it's important for you to understand those complications so that you know as your birth story is unfolding, 
if something starts to change that you know how to adapt and you know what to plan for or be aware of. The next will be, will I be able to choose pain management options during induction and what are my choices? Now, I honestly hope you've already asked this question of your provider way earlier in pregnancy. A lot of women don't realize that birth facilities or hospitals, wherever you're going to give birth, if it's outside of your home, you want to know what are those pain management options. They are not equal across all facilities. I promise you. There are some that do not have in-house anesthesia. There are some that don't have nitrous oxide as an option, which I'll do a future episode about. So what are your pain management options during induction? Um, Some providers have specific requirements they want to follow. When it comes to you getting an epidural, they want you to be so so far dilated. Others are fine with you and the nurse making that decision. So a wide range of discussion points right here. What can I expect in terms of duration of labor and delivery with induction, which again, really is going to vary, but they can give you an idea. How will my birth plan be affected by induction? What flexibility is there in the process? So I often mention this as just a point that I saw frequently. If I saw a patient come in with a birth plan, and one of the things on the birth plan is that they don't want to have an IV, which there's lots of women that give birth in this world without an IV, just FYI, but they don't want to have an IV. That's part of their birth plan but maybe their provider decided to send them in for induction of labor due to some risk factors or due to some concerns, and they plan on using Pitocin. Pitocin is given IV. So therefore, you are going to have to have that change on your birth plan or decide not to do an induction. I mean, that's that's where you need to have this conversation with your provider. What are the benefits of induction for both me and my baby? And usually this ties back into why am I having an induction of labor? That's usually going to be the benefit, right? Um, you, you know, for me, for my last baby, I was advanced maternal age, which means over 35. And advanced maternal age moms actually have higher risk of having poor outcomes for baby or even needing a C-section after 39 weeks. So that's why my induction had a benefit for both me and my baby. Will my induction be scheduled or is it based on some specific conditions or signs? Usually by the time your provider starts talking about an induction of labor, then they're already talking about scheduling it or why. So usually if you have an induction, um, they're going to call the hospital or facility, tell them a date or time to expect you and let you know the same thing which is nice in the sense that you can plan, right? You know when to have the car packed. You know when to have the car seat in. But um, just know that while you may be scheduled, it doesn't always mean it's going to happen that day. You may go into labor on your own before that. You may get what we call pushed back. If they have a really busy unit that you're delivering on and all the rooms are full, you may be pushed to a different time. That sometimes happens. So just be aware of those things. Are there any restrictions or contraindications in my case that I should be aware of? That's really important. Um, So for example, there are certain prostaglandins that have contraindications in women. And so those women don't get that as an option. So maybe they use a different form of maybe a mechanical pressure against the cervix using a cervical balloon before starting Pitocin. 
How will my induction affect my overall birthing experience compared to spontaneous labor? And this really goes back to how are they doing the induction of labor and how your birth plan was affected. So overall, it may be impacted because you need to have continuous fetal monitoring. Then you might want to ask, does my hospital have the option for um, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth um, wireless monitoring, right? Um, That might be important to know. So if you really want to walk around and it's important that you're able to ambulate, ask those questions. Next, what is the likelihood of needing a cesarean birth after induction and under what circumstances might it be necessary? Now, I really think that this could probably be answered for most women the same way. It's just that there are individual instances based on maybe baby size or complications of the reason why you're having an induction that would be unique. But you are more likely to have a cesarean birth if your induction fails. Okay. So the cesarean birth is the surgical type of birth. And it's done because either labor is not an option or labor doesn't progress like it's supposed to, or maybe you or the baby show signs of distress during labor. And usually the circumstances are fetal distress. So the baby has shown us on the fetal monitoring that they can't handle the contractions well, or they don't really enjoy that whole process. Um, Or cephalopelvic disproportion, which that is basically like the baby's just not going to fit in the pelvis. So we can't just look at you and know that. But as labor progresses, if they're doing cervical exams, there's some things that can indicate that this might be happening. How will my baby's health be monitored during and after the induction process? Can I have some time to discuss the induction recommendation with my partner or my family before making a decision? And unless this is a time where you show up to the provider's office and they say, based on something we saw today or a trend, you need to go be induced right now, which I have had friends, they show up to an appointment and they say, I'm sorry, you're not going home today. You're going right to the hospital to have a baby. And that's not all the time for sure. But if they've given you the opportunity to have a conversation about, we're we're probably going to schedule an induction if you don't go into labor on this day or by this time, or if things like your blood pressure continue to decline, then usually you'll have some time to discuss that recommendation with your partner. The next question is really important. If I decide to decline induction, what are the risks and how will my health care be managed moving forward? So you have to understand that informed consent is so important and you being an active part in the decision-making process is important. No matter what, you ultimately have the decision, but also your provider has some decisions they can make, okay? And they can choose not to continue to care for you. They may tell you the risks and document them thoroughly that maybe they told you if you don't have an induction of labor, you're more likely to have a baby that has concerns or problems or maybe a stillbirth, then they're going to document that and let you know. And I know fear can often be used in healthcare to drive home the seriousness of a situation. And I hope your provider's not doing that, but also recognize that there are inherent risks 
depending on your pregnancy. Not every pregnancy is high risk. A lot of women have low risk pregnancies, have low risk birth and give birth and have a great um, delivery. But there are women that have higher risk for different outcomes. So they are going to tell you those things. So just be prepared. What is the hospital's policies on induction and how experienced is the healthcare team in performing inductions? Now, I would say that this is more of a question if you live in a more rural area. Not that those nurses in rural hospitals don't know how to handle inductions, but maybe if it's a very low census hospital, meaning they don't have a lot of births per month, they may not have experience with as high of risk or things like that. And that would also make me have a follow-up question of how high is the level of NICU? So if they're recommending an induction of labor and you're preterm, so your baby's early, you want to make sure the facility you're going to can handle what that that birth is going to be like. Can I get a second opinion or discuss the induction recommendation with another healthcare provider in the practice? Now, I again think it's so important that you understand your rights. You understand that this is your decision and it's okay to get a second opinion. I also will caution you though, that if you have a provider that's doing a wonderful job of educating you has given you solid information to make your decision that sometimes if you start to ask about getting a different opinion, they may, you know, kind of go, okay, well, they don't trust me as their provider. And and you want to make sure that there's trust in this relationship. But again, if you really don't feel like you're getting the information you need, definitely ask for a second opinion. See if everyone agrees that this is what the best plan of action is. What is the hospital's protocol for emergencies during induction? Now, this can range from having a, an extraordinary event happen to needing an emergency C-section or cesarean birth. And usually a hospital's protocols are going to follow ACOG and A1's recommendations for a C-section. So things like if this, if labor doesn't progress for so long, but more emergencies are more fetal distress or maternal distress issues. Um, so you might want to ask what those look like. This is a wonderful question to ask. Is there anything I can do to prepare physically or mentally for the induction process? Providers have usually done lots of inductions. And so they know what's important. Physically, I would say something that I would recommend for anyone having an induction is make sure you're getting as much much rest as you can prior to. No matter what, labor is called labor because it's not just easy on your body, right? It's labor. It's meant to be a process that your body goes through. So getting that much needed rest beforehand is important. Now that doesn't mean just stop working or stop doing everything. But take the opportunities to rest. And again, it doesn't mean sleep. It means rest. Rest your body and your mind as much as you can. You know, I I have had a couple of children right near holidays. And for my last one, for me, preparing physically and mentally meant I did not cook for Thanksgiving. Sorry, I love cooking. I love hosting. But for me, it was what can we do to make this easy on me so that I am not super drained when I give birth next week? 
right? So mentally, I think it's important to really mull over and process what you can expect. The next question is, what is the follow-up plan if labor is not progressing as expected? Now, again, this depends on your provider. It depends on your circumstances as to why you're being induced and maybe even hospital policy. I do know there are some patients that are candidates for and providers that believe in doing a multiple day induction. And this usually happens when you come in for a labor induction and they start the Pitocin. And let's say you don't progress very far. Your cervix doesn't dilate a lot, but they haven't broken your water. Sometimes what they can do is stop the Pitocin and give you what we call a pit break and let you rest and maybe eat some food to nourish your body and kind of just rest through the evening or rest through a period of time and then start up again later, basically giving your body a time to reset almost. Take that opportunity, take that time to eat something, to rest your body, rest your mind, but ask them if, if we're not progressing, then is this a... Once we've started, we're continuing or can, you know, we do multiple days if you don't break my water. That being said, for some providers and for some patients, it's important to break water, meaning break your amniotic sac, cause your water to break, the amniotic fluid to come out. When they do that, for a lot of hospitals, a lot of protocols and policies, it sets kind of a time clock. You don't necessarily want to be ruptured for days and days on end, though there are women that are. Um, you don't necessarily want to do that because it increases the risk for infection, but, um, maybe you talk to them about, let's see how the first day goes before breaking water. The next question, can I still have a doula or birthing coach with me during the induction process? And if you don't know what a doula is, I have another episode that's all about a doula. I interview a friend of mine that's a doula, but you want to ask, does this change who I can have as my support people? You want to know, again, if this is part of your birth plan to have a birth coach or a doula, then you want to know, can you still have them? And the last question I would ask is, are there any additional resources or educational materials available to me to better understand the induction process? So maybe if they know they're going to use a specific method, like a cervical balloon or prostaglandins, they have a pamphlet or something to give you to give you a better understanding about what it what is entailed in that whole process. Okay, so lots of questions, lots of options of questions. If you would like to get a free download of these questions from me, just let me know. Send me an email at babyblisspodcast at gmail.com. And I am happy to forward that on to you so that you can use that as, as you wish. But remember, open communication with your healthcare provider is really crucial. And asking these questions or questions, right, in general, can help you make an informed decision about your birth plan and about your labor induction and what's the best possible outcome for you and for your baby. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening, as always, as always. And If you could do me a huge favor, if you learned a little something, a little nugget for today, please take a second and give me a five-star review on your listening platform. Go out there and find me on Facebook and Instagram and follow Baby Bliss Podcast. 
And then share, tag a friend, tag a family member, share with them, share with your provider so that we can start growing this wonderful community that we um, have started. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And if you have any questions or have any needs, please reach out to me. That's what I'm here for. Talk to you guys later. 